Well, the psalmist said in Psalm 118, verse 24, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. What a dynamic day. It's not only Super Bowl Sunday, it's the Super Savior's Day. And what a joy, what a delight to be back with my church family here at the Winchester Church of Christ. I want you to open your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 3. Everybody take a Bible and go with me to the last book in the book, the book of Revelation chapter 3. And as you turn there, let me explain these five chairs. Everybody in this room is sitting in one of five chairs. I say you are sitting in one of five chairs. You may be in chair number one. Chair number one is for somebody who's not a Christian. He's never been baptized into Christ but he's in a safe relationship with God. The two-year-old boy, the three-year-old girl, the babies in the nursery, they're not saved because they've never been lost. They're safe in the arms of Jesus. Not able to understand the difference in right and wrong, darkness and light, good and evil. They're not able to understand the statement that I'm about to make to you right now. Jesus Christ is God. He is the Son of the living God. He is Lord. He died. He was buried. He was raised. They're not able to understand that. They've never obeyed Jesus. And so they're safe in the arms of the Master. And they're sitting right here in chair number one. You may be in chair number two. Chair number two is for somebody who's not a Christian. He's never been baptized into Christ. And he is able to understand the statement that I'm about to make to you right now. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God. He's the Son of the living God. He's able to understand what Jesus taught in John chapter 3. You must be born again. He's able to understand what Jesus taught in Mark 16 and verse 16. Anybody that believes and is baptized shall be saved. But he has chosen not to obey God. He's never been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. Or maybe maybe he's gone through a form of baptism. Perhaps water was sprinkled upon him. Maybe water was poured on his body. Maybe he was even immersed in water. But for reasons other than faith in Christ, peer pressure, his mother made him to join a particular religious group for reasons other than faith in King Jesus. He's never been baptized into Christ by the forgiveness of sins and is sitting right here in chair number two. Now that leaves the rest of us, those of us who are Christians, baptized believers, in one of these three chairs. And I'm, I'm curious, I'd like to know my audience, uh, how many Christians do we have present today? If you uh, are a Christian, be proud of it. Look around, folks, that's what? Maybe 90% of us, that's wonderful. And we're sitting in one of three chairs 
you may be in chair number three. Chair number three is for somebody who's a Christian, a baptized believer, and he's not perfect. Nobody's perfect. He does not cross every T. He does not dot every I. He's not perfect. But more than anything in the world, he loves Jesus. More than anything in the world, he wants to go to heaven. And when it comes to Jesus Christ, he is He's on fire. I mean, he's Mr. Excitement. He loves talking about Jesus, singing about Jesus, telling his neighbors and friends about the Lord. As Paul said in Romans 12 and verse 11, he's he's fervent in spirit. He's just bawling with enthusiasm. And everybody knows it. People at school, people at work, people at church. Everybody knows this guy is the real deal. He's a Christian through and through. He loves the Lord with everything that he has. You might say, Brother Keith, that, that's not me. I, I, I'm, not exactly Mr., uh, <laughs> I'm not exactly Mr. Hot on Fire. Maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. Maybe you're sitting in chair number four. Chair number four is for somebody who's a Christian, a baptized believer. And spiritually, he's cold. And spiritually, he's dead. Let me ask you a question. Do you know anybody who's cold and dead spiritually? Maybe you're cold and dead spiritually. Over the years, you did not intend for your relationship with Jesus to get like this. Well, let's just be honest. Something has happened. You become discouraged. And you've fallen out of love with Jesus. You very seldom come back to church on Sunday night, you very seldom come back to church on Wednesday night. Let's just be honest, you won't be here this afternoon when Joseph preaches. I mean, you have more important things to do. And when you do come to church, you kind of slip in, and you slump down, and you slip out. And if you see the preacher, you might shake his hand and say, Hey, nice sermon, sir. But something is missing. Spiritually, you're out of touch. You're a Christian, a baptized believer, but you're cold, you're distant, and you are dead. And you're sitting right here in chair number four. You might say, Brother Keith, that's not me either. I'm not exactly Mr. Hot on fire, but neither am I like ice. Where do I sit? Take your time. Right here. You may be in chair number five. Chair number five is for somebody who's a Christian, a baptized believer. And it's not in chair number three, he's not alive. And it's not in chair number four, he's not dead. He's not in chair number three, he's not hot. And it's not in chair number four, he's not cold, he's... He's somewhere in between. I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10, he's a, he's a 4 or 5 or 6 spiritually. Comes to church some, prays some, gives some, sings a little, but he's just kind of, a, what would you say, a middle of the road, on the fence, in between. 
Our brother, our Lord called it lukewarm. He's a, he's a baptized believer, he's a Christian, but he just kind of lukewarm. Let me ask you a question. Where do you sit today? I mean, if I were to call your name and ask you to come to the front and sit in the chair that best describes you and Jesus, which chair would you sit in? Are you sitting in chair number one? You've never obeyed Jesus. You've never obeyed the gospel. But you're safe in the arms of Christ. You're not able to understand the difference in right and wrong. Or maybe you're right here. You've chosen not to obey God. You've never been baptized into Christ in order to be saved. Or maybe, maybe I have a feeling a lot of us are right here. You're a baptized believer uh, and you love God with everything you have. You're really in touch with the Lord. And maybe a few of us are right here. Spiritually, we're cold and spiritually, we're dead. And I do wonder, I do wonder how many in this audience, how many of us are right here? Not hot, not cold, we're just kind of average, mediocre, lukewarm. Honestly, where are you right now? Well, that's the question we're going to focus in on for a few minutes in today's study. Now, you have your Bibles open to what book, audience? The book of? Did I tell you the chapter? Revelation chapter 3. I want you to notice what Jesus says to His people, His church, at Laodicea. Revelation 3, look to verse 14. He said to the angel of the messenger of the church of the Laodiceans, right? And then Jesus identifies Himself. These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Let me just pause right here to say that when Jesus identifies Himself as the beginning of the creation, He is not saying, hey, I was the first one created. Uh, Jesus was not created, was He? He's always been just like the Father. He's eternal. And the Holy Spirit is everlasting. Well, Jesus is eternal. I remember some time ago studying the Bible with a friend of mine, and she said, Keith, I had no idea that Jesus existed before Bethlehem. I thought when the baby Jesus was born in the city of Bethlehem, that was the start, that was the beginning of Jesus Christ. And so we studied verses like John 1, starting in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh human and lived among men, John 1 and verse 14. And we studied verses like John 8 and verse 58. Jesus said, you know, before Abraham was, I am. I existed even before Father Abraham. So when Jesus identifies himself as the beginning of the creation, he's not saying, hey, I was the first one created. He's simply saying, I'm the ruler of creation. I am creator, Colossians 1 and verse 16. Look down to verse 15. Revelation 3 and verse 15. After identifying himself, he says, I know your works. I know your deeds. Church, I know you're neither cold or hot. Oh, I wish, I would, that you were either cold or hot. So then because you are Lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because you say, verse 17, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And you know not, you do not know that you're wretched 
and you're miserable, and you're poor, and you're blind, and you're naked. And that's Revelation 3, verses 14, 15, 16, and 17. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you about a revival that I preached in some time ago. For 16 and a half years, I preached at the Hendersonville Church of Christ, Hendersonville, Tennessee, still a member there. In fact, I was there last Sunday, but for the last eight plus years, I've been going all across America doing some preaching. And some time ago, I preached in the state of Virginia. You ever been to Virginia? I drove over 600 miles to get there. The revival started on Sunday morning. It was to go through uh, Wednesday night. That's commonly what we do, start on Sunday morning, go through Wednesday night. When I drove over 600 miles to get there, man, I was excited. I get up and I preached my very best sermon. It wasn't this one. It was another one. I preached on Sunday morning, preached on Sunday night. And then I preached again on Monday night. Monday night came. And guess what the people in the church in Virginia started talking about? They started talking about closing the meeting early. You guys ever been sent home early? I ain't never been sent home early in my life. But Monday night came, and we began to hear a few rumors, you know, we're not doing a lot of good, and, you know, this is not helping a lot of people, and maybe we ought to just end this thing early. Well, Tuesday night came, and guess what they did? They closed the meeting. They sent me home early. I had never been sent home early in my life. Guess what they paid me to preach? I'll go ahead and guess. I'll give you three guesses. The first two don't count. Nothing, blank, zilch. Now, I'm not complaining about it. I'm not fussing about it. In fact, I told them, I said, hey, guys, I told them on the phone. I said, you guys need a revival preacher. I said, sure, I'll be glad to come free of charge. And they thought that I was serious. (laughs) They paid me nothing. Paid me zero. Now, they were not mean. They were not violent. I mean, I marched back to the back like I normally do, and I started shaking the folks out, and nobody walked out and slapped me. Nobody spit in my face or sopped me in the nose. They were not violent. They were not mean. They were just uh, distant, standoffish. Lukewarm. Lukewarm. Do me a favor. Would you do me a favor? Love me (laughs) or hate me. (laughs) Love me or hate me, but don't treat me lukewarmly. Now, I want to be loved, don't you? I mean, I like being loved. I like to march back to the back, start shaking the folks out, and I get excited when some of the older ladies walk up and give me a big old hug. Man, that excites me. That motivates me. Now, Sandra, my wife, gets excited when some of the young, pretty ladies walk up and give me a big old hug. But I want you to love me, okay? I want you to love me. But if you can't love me, go to the other stream. Hate me. Don't treat me lukewarmly. How many of you like lukewarm coffee? You like lukewarm coffee? Yeah. Most of us want it fired up, right? Don't want lukewarm lukewarm coffee. (laughs) And you know, the way that we feel about lukewarmness is the way that Jesus feels about lukewarmness. Jesus says, church, you're not hot and you're not cold. You are lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, what did he say? I want to what? Spit you. Spit you out of my mouth. Let me tell you about a preacher that I know. A fellow by the name of Brian. Brian is a preacher. In fact, he used to preach when my mother attends church. She attends a little country church about 50 miles from here outside of Huntsville, Alabama. 
And Brian was the preacher. Some time ago, Brian, the preacher, went into Huntsville to get him something to eat. It was a fast food place. He got a hamburger. He took the hamburger. He unwrapped it. He sat down. He took a big old bite of it, and he began chewing. And chewing. And chewing. And it would not chew. He didn't know what to do. You know, people were in that restaurant. He didn't want to embarrass himself. But he was in public, and yet he could not chew it. So he had to spit it out. And there in his hamburger, he found a Band-Aid, a used, bloody Band-Aid. Are we going to have a covered dish dinner after church today? Watch those Band-Aids, okay? Now, folks, I, I like hamburgers, okay? I mean, I like hamburgers. You know, I like to eat one every week, whether I need it or not. But can you ima- imagine finding a, 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 a used Band-Aid in your hamburger? Brian, my preacher friend, didn't know what to do. He, he, he went up to the counter. Uh, he asked for the manager. The manager came out, and, and Brian explained the situation. Sir, sir, there was a Band-Aid in my hamburger. You know what the manager said? Well, sir, we're sorry. We'd be glad to fix you another one. Brian said, oh no, I don't want another one. I want my money back. And of course, they gave him his money back. Well, a few days later, he started doing some research, and he found out that the Band-Aid had come off the hand of a 60 or 65-year-old man that was working in that restaurant. The man admitted it. He said, I went to work. There was a Band-Aid on my hand. I looked down. It was gone. Obviously, got into that guy's hamburger. I'm not going to tell you the name of the place, okay? But they used to have a commercial. Oh, the pickles. Oh, the order. Special order. Don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us serve it your way. And that's the way that Brian wanted it. He wanted it his way. Instead, he got it the older man's way, band-aid and all. Now, when I first heard that story, I responded like some of you. I thought, ugh, ugh, ooh. Keith, that, that, that was a band-aid in my hamburger, and I thought, ugh. Are you, are you kidding? No, there was, there was a Band-Aid in my hamburger. Ugh. And that's the picture that I see when I re- read Revelation chapter 3. When Jesus looked at His people at Laodicea, it, it was kind of like, like eating food and finding a used Band-Aid. Uh, Jesus said, church, you're not here and you're not here. You're not cold and you're not hot. You're a little bit too hot to be cold. You're a little bit too cold to be hot, but you're not cold and you're not hot. You're right here. You're lukewarm. And I tell you, because you're lukewarm, I tell you what I want to do. I want to, I want to spit you. Maybe your Bible says I want to spew you. Maybe your Bible says I want to vomit you. Now, brothers and sisters, those are not pretty words, are they? When you, when you start, talk about spit, spew, vomit, those aren't pretty words. And this is not a pretty scene here in Revelation chapter 3. You know what the members of the church were saying? Let, let me show you what they were saying. Look down at verse 17. Because you say, here's what they were saying, I am rich, I am increased with goods, have need of nothing. And Jesus says, you know not, you do not know that you're wretched and you're miserable and you're poor and you're blind and you're naked. You know what they were saying? Let me show you what they were saying. Sir, sir, what's your name? Say it again. Ethan. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 31. You find the name Ethan. You're in the Bible. Do you know that? 1 Kings 4, verse 31. Check me out. Ethan. They were saying, Ethan, uh, have, you ever, have you ever been to church at Laodicea? 
You've never visited our services? You've not heard our preacher? You've not heard our song leader? Oh, Ethan. Man, you don't know what you're missing. We're a good church. We're a great church. In fact, they were saying, uh, hey, Ethan, we've got the best song leader in the world. We've got the most dynamic preacher. We've got people that love each other. They were doing this. They were kind of patting themselves on the back. and They were saying, look at us. We're a good church. And Jesus said, church, you are wretched. You're miserable. You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. And Laodicea, they were saying, we can see Spiritually, we can see our eyes are open. We can see spiritually. And Jesus said, you can what? See? I tell you, you are B-L-I-N-D. You're blind. At Laodicea, they were saying, we're rich. Spiritually, we're rich. And Jesus said, rich? You're rich? I tell you, You are P-O-O-R. You're poor. At Laodicea, they were saying, my, we love the Lord. We're marching for the Master. We're, 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 We're in love with Jesus. And Jesus said, church, you're not here. You're not here. You're not cold. You're not hot. You're, you're right here. And I tell you what I want to do. I want to spew you out of my mouth. Now, I did not come to condemn. I did not come to blast. In fact, I, I know I'm standing before some great people. But I did come to ask this question. Where are you spiritually? You, spiritually. Where are you spiritually? Which chair are you sitting in, honestly? Do you find yourself just kind of going through the motions, getting through church, doing your duty, clocking in, clocking out? Let me ask you like this. I'm just asking. I'm not here to throw stones. I'm just, I know people. I know what I deal with sometimes. Let me just ask it like this. Is Christianity to you kind of like a kind of like a coat that you take off when you go home today? Here's your Christianity, and you kind of pitch it aside. And you say, you know, I, I've done my deed, I've done to, I've been to church, I, I've done my duty. Now, now I, you know, you would never say this out loud, but down deep you're thinking, you know, I've been to church. I'm gonna live like I want to the rest of the week. I mean, if I want to cuss, I'll cuss. If I want to cheat, I'll cheat. If I want to be unkind, I'll just do it. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live like I want to the rest of the week. Now, when next Sunday comes, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take my Christianity, and, and I'll put it back on, and, and I'll go to church, and I'll sing some songs, and I'll, I'll even close my eyes during the prayer, and I'll do communion. I'll eat the bread, and I'll drink the fruit of the vine. I'll be a Christian in church. And Jesus says, uh, are you teasing? Are you serious? Honestly, I'm asking just asking you, not, not asking the person sitting beside you, in front of you, behind you. I'm asking you, honestly, where do you sit right now? Which chair are you sitting in? May, may, I, may I tell you where Jesus wants you? Let me, let me tell you where Jesus wants you, okay? I was down in Florida just a few weeks ago. And I went over to the uh, national championship game. I grew up in Alabama, been to five national championship games in person. And I wanted to see Alabama play Clemson. Great football game. Went over there. And on the way over to Tampa from Orlando, I saw a Clemson guy. And uh, his car was just uh, plated with a lot of tiger paws. Not one tail, but two or three tails coming out the back. I mean, it was, it was obvious this guy was for Clemson through and through. And then on the back of the car, Clemson adored 
were these words. All in. And I thought, huh. That's the way God wants His people. All in. He wants us all in. He wants us all in, folks. May I show you where He wants you? He wants you right here. See, He wants you to be a, a Christian, a baptized believer. We have some people in this audience, and you need to become a Christian. I would ask you what Ananias asked Saul. Why do you wait? Get up. I would say to you what Ananias said to Saul. Get up, be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord, Acts twenty two sixteen. 16. But He not only not only wants us to be baptized, He not only wants us to get wet, He wants us to be all in. In the language of Scripture, He wants us to be hot spiritually. He wants our very best. And may I tell you why we ought to give God our best? Why do you think we ought to give God our best? He's given His best to us, hasn't He? God so loved the world that He gave His monogenesis, one of a kind, only Son, John 3.16. We love Him. Why do we love Him? Because He first loved us. 1 John 4.19 God commendeth His love to us in that while we were sinners, He died for us. So yes, He wants us to be baptized believers. But just like that Clemson guy, fanatic about the Tigers, he wants us to be all in, fanatic about him. So I want you to imagine. Imagine, if you will, that you're the parent of an eight-year-old kid. Everybody in this room, everybody in this room, every man, woman, boy, and girl, you're the mom, you're the dad of an eight-year-old son. I also want you to imagine that there is a sickness in our world. Two people have died. The amazing thing about this sickness, it has never before been identified, never before been discovered. Maybe scientists and doctors are interested, but it doesn't mean much to you or to the rest of the world. But that sickness for which there is no cure, that virus, begins to spread. It begins to spread to Africa, to Asia, to the Philippines, to the Middle East, to Europe. In fact, deaths are multiplying by the hundreds, yea, thousands. And one night, our president, President Donald Trump, gets on national TV. I mean, everything's interrupted. CNN, ABC, CBS, NBC, everything's interrupted because there's an announcement from the White House, and our president, President Trump, gets on national TV, and he says, ladies and gentlemen, the borders of the United States are closed, and they will remain closed until this plague, he's calling it a plague, until this plague is under control. And that night when you put your little boy to bed, Dad, he's saying, Daddy, Daddy, what's a plague? And your daughter, your little girl is asking, why can't they just cure these people? And that night when you go to bed, you squeeze your mate just a little bit longer, and you pray just a little bit harder than normal. The next morning you get up, you turn on the TV, and the first news story on Good Morning America causes you to drop your coffee cup on the table. Because lying in a New York City hospital 
is a postal worker and is dying of the very same virus for which there is no cure. You say, man, I'm not going to go anywhere today. I'm not going to go to work because reports start coming in from all across the country. California, Maine, Utah, Florida. I mean, that thing seems to be walking its way across our country, spreading like wildfire. Mayo Clinic is working around the clock. Scientists and doctors are working behind the scenes. But again, the news is dim. There's no cure for this virus. The next morning you get up, you turn on the local AM radio station. Finally, there's good news. A cure has been found. A vaccine is being made. And people all across America are being tested to see who has the right blood type to make the serum to save the world. Two o'clock in the morning, a knock comes at your door. You go to the door and you see a man standing there with a white coat on. He has a clipboard in his hand. And he says to you, sir, would you take your family down to the local church building? Your blood will be tested. Well, you gather your kids. I mean, it's two o'clock in the morning. They're crying. But you drive down here to the Winchester Church of Christ, and when you pull up, you can't believe your eyes. You've never seen so many cars at the the parking lot in your life. Neighbors and friends from all over the community have gathered to have their blood tested. Well, you get out of the car. You wait in a very long line. They finally prick your finger. They test your blood. And a doctor runs out of the church building into the parking lot where everybody's waiting. He screams a name. You didn't understand it. Sir, what did you say? He says the name again. And your son, your eight-year-old boy, is tugging on your coat. And he's saying, Daddy, Mama, they're calling my name. And before you can say a word, they grab him by the hand and they start leading him into this church building. And you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's the deal? And this doctor looks at you and says, Sir, ma'am, we, we need to retest it. We need to retest his blood. And so they retest his blood. And in just a few minutes, doctors and nurses start hugging and crying and people start laughing in hysteria because your son, your eight-year-old boy's blood is clean and they can take his blood and make the medicine to save the world. But all of a sudden, a doctor walks up to you. He has a clipboard in his hand. You get it under a light. You say, what is it? As a parent, you know, don't you? It's a permission slip for your boy. So you look at it carefully and you say, you notice the number of pints of blood to be taken is left blank. So you say uh, to this doctor, sir, it's blank. How many many pints of blood are we talking about? And this doctor begins to shake his head and says, we had no idea it would be a kid. He's so small. An eight-year-old boy. If we had any clean blood, we would have used it already. I'm sorry, mom, dad. We need it all. As a parent, could you sign the permission slip to give your boy away? Could you walk into the uh, church building and see your son sitting on the examination table and hear him say, Mom, Dad, what's wrong? Could you go up to your son, grab his hand, look him in the eyes and say, Son, you know we love you. And maybe as the doctors and technicians and nurses say, Mom, Dad, I'm sorry, we need to get going. We need to get started. Could you walk out of here and hear your boy say, Mama, Daddy, don't leave. Mama, Daddy, why are you leaving? Daddy? Daddy? Why have you forsaken me? 
And maybe a week later, when down at the church, they have a big old memorial service for your boy who gave his life for the world. Well, you understand it when neighbors and friends say, you know, I don't think I'll go. I'm just too tired. Or when people talk or chat or maybe stare at their watches as your son is being remembered. I mean, as a parent, as a parent, wouldn't you just want to stand up and say, hey, folks, this was my boy. This was my son. This boy gave his life for the world. This is serious. And see, ladies and gentlemen, I can't help but believe that there's a God sitting up in heaven, looking down upon us, and he is saying, would you look at the cross? Would you look at the cross? That's, that's my boy. That's my son. This is dead serious. Brethren, Jesus, serious death means serious commitment to a serious church. And it's time that we stop playing church, going through the motions, and take Jesus to the lost and dying world. So I've got to ask you, have you been playing church? Have you been going through the motions? Honestly, where do you sit today? If I understand this book correctly, only two of these chairs are going to heaven. Chair number one. And chair number three. Chair number one. The person who's never become a Christian. Never obeyed. But he's safe in the arms of Jesus. The two-year-old boy, three-year-old girl. Babies in the audience. Not able to understand the difference in right and wrong. Chair number three, the baptized believer, again, who's not perfect, but he's all in. He loves God with everything that he has. So again, I'm asking, where do you sit today? I mean, if I were to call your name, George, Bill, Susan, Sherry, If I were to call your name and ask you to come to the front and sit in the chair that best describes you and Jesus, honestly, which chair would you sit in? I want you to imagine you died last night. You died last night, and in just a moment, your name's going to be called. You will appear before Jesus in judgment. Are you comfortable right now with the chair in which you're sitting? Would you have to scream and cry for mercy? You say, oh, Brother Keith, I tell you, I, I've been in the wrong chair. I've never become a Christian. I've been thinking about it. I, I, I need to become a Christian. I need to be baptized. Or, or you might be thinking, you know, I'm a baptized believer, and I've just kind of been going through the motions, and I've been in the wrong chair, and i tell you what I'm going to do. When we sing the invitation song this morning, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go forward, and I'm going to say, church, I, I, I need to be prayed for. Today, I'm going to respond. No, you're not. Not today. Not today. You know Why? You died last night. Last night you died. And in just a moment, your name's going to be called before Jesus in judgment. Honestly, are you comfortable with the chair in which you're sitting right now? Would you have to scream and cry for mercy? Would you have to say, oh, oh, Jesus, give, give me another invitation song. Give me another invitation. One more plea from a preacher. Please, Jesus, give me that. And maybe Jesus extends a hand and says, oh, I loved you so. But that's too late. Depart from me, you cursed and everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. 
Friend, you know as well as I that the premise today is false. You did not die last night. You're very much alive. And you can change chairs by leaving your pew, coming down to church aisle to do what's right. We do have some people who need to become Christians. We have some Christians who've been in the wrong chair. And I tell you what I've been praying. I don't know what you've been praying for Super Bowl Sunday. I'll tell you what I've been praying. I haven't been praying for the Falcons. I haven't been praying for the Patriots. I've been praying for you. And I've been praying as we've seen the very first verse of this invitation song that somebody in this audience would lead the way. I don't know if I've been praying for somebody over here or right here in this section, over on this section. I don't know if I've been praying for somebody old, young, man or woman, boy or girl. But I've been praying for somebody in this audience to lead the way. Usually it takes one person to break the ice. It takes one person to lead the way. One person to come and say, I'm ready. I I, want to surrender. I want to do what's right. And then when when one comes, guess what happens? When one responds, usually there's another. And then another. And even more and more and more. So I've been praying for somebody this morning to break the ice to lead the way. Satan will do everything that he can to stop you. Satan does not want you to respond. He wants you to stand and sing as if, I'm okay, you're okay, the world's okay. But Jesus died to call you. He gave His all. And He says, I want you to be all in with me. So who's going to lead the way? Will anything great happen at the Winchester Church? It's going to take somebody to break the ice. Where are you sitting? Where are you sitting? Change chairs, would you? Just together we stand and sing.